Thank you for tuning in to the best parenting show on the internet. Post Daily Dose. Christy Saul, the co-founder of the Post Institute, coming at you live. Uh, we are in session four. We're doing a little mini book study of the book From Fear to Love. Let me just, we have it in Spanish now too. Uh, the Spanish version is available on Amazon. And this uh, From Fear to Love is also available on Audible. So you can find it uh, on our website. You can find it on www.postinstitute.com. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it on Audible. And we also have an incredible uh, Just Pay Shipping and Handling offer. That's $7.95 at feartolovebook.com. So there's my little plug for tonight. Uh, kind of funny little thing. I was out getting dinner uh, for Marley and I, and I looked down and realized it was a little bit after 6, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I got to get back. I have to do my thing at 6.30. So um, thank you guys for joining. I see we've got a few viewers. Nobody said hi yet, so hopefully. You know, somebody just, I know that there's little places you guys can say hi. So I'd love to hear from you all and see who's checking us out. So um, for the last few nights, I've been covering um, just a little mini book study. So I'm not going to all the details and as deep as we do in our full book studies that we offer. Um, but hey, Heather, I see you joined. It's good to see you. I hope that your family is doing well. I absolutely love us being friends. Hey, Tracy. Good to see you, dear. Um, so what we've been doing is just covering a little bit of the book every night. And when I do book study, um, I give little homework assignments every night. And so like the first night, our homework assignment was about rekindling joy. The second night, our homework assignment was about going in and sitting in your child's nesting space whatever that is, wherever they really hang out, um, and doing that when they're not there. Oh, Gal I, all the way from Galloway. Gal Galloway. That is very cool. I'm just, you know, the, this world is, it's so incredible. <laughs> when Dixie, <laughs> uh, the first night that I did Facebook Live, I read a chapter out of a book called Because of Winn-Dixie. And so uh, Tracy is like, Winn-Dixie here, breathe, breathe. Give a chance for uh, that oxytocin to release so that the cortisol from the stress can be modulated. Breathe, just take a few minutes. Hey, Valerie, thanks for joining us. Um, so the first night, the homework was about rekindling joy. Um, the next night, the homework assignment was about sitting in the place where your child nests so that you can get to know them again. Because oftentimes the chasm of relationship happens because we're out of understanding. So when we fall out of understanding what's going on internally for our kids and we start assigning negative intentions to their behavior as opposed to understanding that their behavior is likely coming from a place of stress, all behavior comes from a place of stress and it's trying to communicate something to us. So then to try to get back in connection and to rebuild our empathy and to reconnect with understanding where they're coming from. So so just spending time sitting in their space when they're not there, looking around and just, you know, getting your heart reacquainted with your child. My goodness, they're your children, they're your babies. And I know that you want to love them and you're trying to figure that out. And sometimes, you know, it feels like you're 
speaking two different languages. I mean, I, I get that. I do. I understand. So that homework as assignment is, you know, it's that. And it may take, that may take some repetition. You know, the first time you go in there, you might not be able to stay more than three seconds because you just, you know, it just is so triggering. And so just to be able to build up your ability to go in and just sit in their space when they're not there so that you can get reacquainted with your child can make a huge shift because the first shift has to happen for you. You know, you're the leader in your child's family. You're the leader of your family. So, uh, and then the next night we went through some chapters and we talked about, um, what did we talk about? Oh, we talked about getting quiet and listening to what your soul is craving because you cannot pour love out of a cup that's filled with exhaustion, bitterness, and resentment. And so to take some time and get in touch with what it is your soul is craving and then start creating a plan to get some of your own self-care needs met. So those were the homework assignments related to the chapter so far. Um, so we're actually in chapter four, um, regulation and dysregulation. And that is related to emotional regulation, not like the regulations of the world, the rules and the laws. It's about emotional regulation and emotional dysregulation. Never give up on your child because you never know when some developed milestone will be met that will help them better learn the most appropriate dynamics for social and emotional living. And I'm telling you, I, I have seen so many relationships that were fraught with conflict, especially um, conflict during the high school years. Um, and then the mid-twittings come and reunification, rebuilding the relationship happens. And so, yeah, don't ever give up. Developmental milestones sometimes happen, you know, later. Um, not everybody gets to the same place at the same time. And we know that when trauma occurs, that those are insults to the um, development of the emotional regulatory system. And so expect that it may take a little bit longer. And I think that uh, one of the biggest sources of the conflict really is around school. And so, you know, we as parents get really anxious and really stressed out to try to get our kids to do what it is that the school is asking them to do. And we see abilities, but then when our kids get into the school setting, those abilities may not flourish or the school may not be um, instructing, presenting the material in a way that that works for your child's learning style. There may be a lot that goes on in their thinking that they're not able to articulate into words or into the written word. I mean, there's just, you know, our brains are complex and how our kids learn and how they're gonna make it in the world is vast and diverse, but we can get really, really anxious. And I just wanna remind you guys, there's a, there's a whole lot more life that happens after 18. And if we burn our relationship with our child out of stress because of what is being required at the school, as well intending as we may be, we may be cutting off the support that they're going to need to be able to make it from 18 on. And there, I mean, there's, right, from zero to 18, that's just 18 years, there's a whole, whole, whole more, a lot more going on after that. So, um, Regulation and dysregulation. 
this chapter, man, it's thick in science, but Brian talks about it in a way that makes it really easy to understand. Um, and so what I've been doing each night is just kind of, look, I mean, my book uh, is all kinds of highlighted. And I think anybody who has this book tends to do the same, even though at the end of every chapter, there's bullet points. I don't know. I just like to highlight. I also like to write notes because it helps me remember. Um, so the things I have highlighted, I'll try to get through them as quick as I can, um, just so it's not so boring to still send to somebody to read. But um, Something we have to understand is that um, adopted children are chronically dysregulated and struggling with their ability to self-regulate. Regulation is what allows us to sit still, focus, concentrate, smile, wake up in the morning, say good morning, eat our breakfast, go to school, and have a good day at school. All those things have to do with our emotional regulatory system. Without those abilities, a child suffers throughout the day every day. They are suffering. You know, and they're trying to figure it out the best they can. And when you think about some of the things our kids have been through, just the fact that they can get to school every day, you know, it's pretty phenomenal. You know, they're, they're amazing people. They're amazing people. And for us to figure out how to help manifest the most amazing qualities and help them to be the most the best version of themselves, you know, that's, that's what we're, that's what our goal is. It's just that our, the traditional parenting model, oftentimes it's just, it's going to create, it's more anxiety. And the more anxiety we pour into the relationship, the more stress we're creating. And that's just going to create the very behaviors that we're hoping to avoid. Uh, Bruce Perry says, um, uh, refers to this state as an amygdala hijack. As soon as the amygdala senses threat through a sensory pathway, what we see, smell, hear, touch, taste, or feel, body temperature, internal, even a trigger. You know, when we think about triggers, we're usually thinking about things from the outside. It can be a thought. It could be a memory that gets stirred up. It could be an internal bodily function, like a digestion issue. All of those things can be triggered. Um, that an amygdala hijack is um, a reaction where the amygdala gets activated. That's our sense, our sensory mechanism in our brain for threat and discomfort. It gets activated and starts outpouring cortisol, and that's what triggers those behaviors: is that high level of cortisol and that sensitivity of the amygdala. So the amygdala is not a part of our thinking brain. It's a part of our emotional brain, and it sits right above the brain stem. And its job is to help us survive. And so it's, you know, it, it will activate into a fight, fight or free state. Um, so then Brian talks about the hippocampus. The hippocampus is also largely responsible for our short-term re memory. Remember that in times of overwhelming stress, our thinking process has become distorted and confused and our short-term memory is suppressed. You know, I'm just going to stop right there because so what part of the challenge is that many of us have not experienced that kind of stress. So it's really hard for us to really relate to what that might feel like. So, I mean, I'll just, I think being transparent and sharing our personal stories helps us grow and helps us understand. So I remember um, right shortly after uh, becoming um, separated in my marriage, 
I was so stressed out and overwhelmed that literally for about a week and a half, maybe even two weeks, things would happen where like I would be driving. One time I was Marley, I was late getting Marley to school and the teacher asked, why were you late? And she said, Marley said, my mom accidentally started taking me to our old house. I don't really know. My brain, my conscious brain was not in charge. My emotional brain was activated and I was functioning out of my subconscious. I would drive and look up and realized I had missed my exit by five miles. You know, I would sit to try to work and I would just be disassociated in front of my computer. That's what stress does. And sadly, it's very hard for us to understand that until we've had an experience where, you know, and that just happens. That's just kind of how we are as humans is it's really hard for us to wrap our brain around something that we have never experienced, but it's real. It's a real thing. Um, so yes, stress uh, and being triggered can overwhelm the brain. And in that space, the hippocampus, which is responsible for short-term memory can be flooded and will become distorted and confused and our short-term memory will be suppressed that's why one minute it's like you're dealing like one minute you might be uh talking with your child and you know they're right there with you and they they're on it and you see everything just clicking 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 and then the next you know 30 minutes later you know they can't find anything you know they don't know where their pencils are they don't you know one minute they're doing well in school and the next minute you put them in a testing situation and that added stress and they don't do well. You know, it could be any, you could see that pattern, you could see that behavior, you could see that slip in any number of situations. And when you know this and you start sort of looking for it and you start connecting the dots, you realize that there may be ways that your child is coping and sort of covering you know, and when you stop and you really think about it, you go, wait a minute, I see this sort of cognitive slip that's taking place. And then knowing that the solution is pouring more love, more relationship and more connection in that that will help create different hormones in the brain. Your love actually becomes good medicine. So, I mean, to me, this news is like some of the best news you can get. When the state of stress is prolonged and overwhelming, stress research shows that neuronal damage can occur in the hippocampus. The hippocampus can even develop new neuronal connections that make the child more sensitive. The more stress that we put in, the more we are putting our child at risk for damaging those neurons and creating more sensitivity, more hypervigilance. It's a survival mechanism, but it builds in an ultimately destructive way. If the amygdala is being triggered, it is in the process of learning that it has to stay on alert all the time. So the amygdala then learns, I have to be on guard all the time. In this heightened state of alert, the amygdala is exercised more and the hippocampus begins to break down. So we, I mean, just it's just further deteriorating all for the purpose of survival because the amygdala is like, I am fighting for our lives. I am fighting for our lives. Oh goodness. The hippocampus is also connected to an important part of our brain called the orbital frontal cortex. 
right up here, the Orbital considered the Executive Functioning Control Center of our social and emotional relationships. So basically what happens over time is the orbital, orbit, orbital, <laughs> orbital frontal cortex will experience damage and then the ability for the brain to dictate social socially appropriate behavior will deteriorate if you've ever been around somebody who's had a head injury a traumatic brain injury to the front of the head if you ever read research about that it's like whatever pops in the head comes out the mouth what you know talk about some impulsivity all related to the damage that occurs to the orbital frontal cortex now here's the good news there are two ways to change the brain positive environment and positive relationships plus the positive repetition of both so that becomes the order positive relationship and positive environment um, this has a really nice graphic it shows this big let's see if i can get my camera showing up right there we go it shows this big monster saying i'm mad but behind it is the little girl saying, I'm scared. <clears throat> By the time an infant reaches 18 months of age, the amygdala is already fully developed. By 18 months of age, the amygdala, this sense, this part of our brain that senses threat and distress is fully developed. Therefore, the infant's ability to sense threat, fear, and stress functioning. On the other hand, the hippocampus the part of the brain that contributes to calming the stress and helping the child to think more clearly and feel less overwhelmed doesn't completely develop until the 36th month. They are completely reliant on us to feel safe when they're babies. They're completely reliant on us to calm and create security. Our job is bonding. Their job is attachment. And many of our children have been in situations during that critical phase of brain development where people always talk about attachment disorder, but we need to be start we need to start looking at and holding the adults responsible for their dysfunction in bonding instead of you know hanging that on a child another point of interest is that the orbital frontal cortex does not complete its development until 25 years old oh my gosh that's huge isn't it that is huge the part of the brain responsible for helping us navigate social situations does not fully develop until 25 years of age Mm. And for some kids, for some people, it's going to be later. So, and that's that's not just children who come from trauma. That's human. That is a human development statistic. The part of our brain that most readily responsible for how we get along in society is not completely developed developed until we are into early adulthood. Oh my goodness. So now, chapter five, um, the oxytocin response. See, that's the best part. The oxytocin response. This is such good news. Every action toward a child must be geared towards tuning, turning up the child's oxytocin response. Um, there is an excellent book that um, a woman named Susan Kaczynskis did that's called The Chemistry of Connection. Um, Brian and Susan also wrote a book, it's uh, an ebook that's available um, that talks about 
I think it's called Oxytocin Parenting. It's an excellent little book that talks about parenting to help build the oxytocin response. And I know that the interview, there's an interview with Brian and Susan that's available on our website. So what the oxytocin response is, oxytocin is, the oxytocin response is a learned response, meaning it's learned at the brain level. The brain has to learn this. It's not something that we come into the world with. Attuned and attentive caregiving is required to initiate the oxytocin response. Without attunement and attentive caregiving, the response doesn't become adequately conditioned in the face of chronic stress, abuse, and emotional absence. So an adopted child might grow up with a poorly developed oxytocin response system, making the child prone to prolonged states of stress, high anxiety, aggression, depression, and abundance of other emotional triggers. So oxytocin is released for all of us when we are in safe loving relationships it's the hormone released when mothers um, breastfeed um, some mothers have reported it liking likening it to heroin because it is so relaxing and so pleasant and so euphoric um, it is the hormone that's released when we make love it's the hormone that's released when we kiss when we hug um, for some people, when we're in nature, when we hear our favorite song, when we feel the sunshine on our face, all these things help release oxytocin in our system. And oxytocin helps calm the stress hormone cortisol. It helps to modulate it. Um, all too often, we stay overwhelmed without opportunities for prolonged regulation. A number of the things that we think are positive for these children actually creates more stress and more difficulty in them later. These things include early socialization, pressure for both athletics and academic accomplishments, and traditional punishment practices of spanking, yelling, isolating, time out, behavior modification and consequences. Such common practices create minimal opportunities for oxytocin response to kick in so emotional regulation does not occur. So that's, uh, that's going to take us to chapter six for tomorrow. I'm actually going to come on a little early because I've got some friends coming over for dinner, which is kind of fun. So um, let's do tomorrow at 1230. So I'll put a little post up for those of you guys who have been wanting to make these sessions on the regular. And I'm going to give you guys a homework assignment. So home, our next homework assignment is just that to, I want you guys to pause at least three times in the day and notice something in your environment that makes you feel good. So whatever that may be, if it's that I pause and I just notice the sunshine on my face or I pause and I really taste this warm cup of coffee or maybe I pause and I breathe in the fact that it's quiet in my house or, you know, if you have a partner, when you lay in bed tonight with them, to just really appreciate the fact that you've got somebody in your life that loves you, that you can snuggle with, that that warm body next to you. Um, or, you know, rub your baby's back. 
Just love on them tonight when it's bedtime. Take the time to stop and pause and notice and let the noticing fill you because that's the pathway to building your own oxytocin release. And it is imperative that you have a strong base of oxytocin when you're working with kids who come from hard places. Man, you guys, thank you for hanging with me tonight. Um, I know that these sessions have been a little bit long, but you're just here with me here on Facebook. And I love that. I appreciate that. I love us learning together. Um, we do an extended version of this. Um, we send out the announcements through our email list first, and then we publish them on Facebook. Um, we also have some people who have done a master parenting class with Brian who are doing um, book studies as well. It's really actually part of my vision that this book be all over the place and that parents be gathering in small groups and that we pour out and pour into one another so that we're not walking this path alone. The idea that you have to do life alone and all this independence and don't rely on anybody and that's what means you're strong, that's a bunch of hogwash. What really makes you strong is getting with people, opening up your life, walking life out together, being with people who can pour into you and then you can pour into them. That is what helps us grow. It's relationship, man. It's relationship. So I'll see you guys tomorrow at 1230. Much love to you all. Good night.